is in the last couple, maybe two years or so, we've had patients who had previously graduated from our treatment come back and say that they had symptoms of candida coming back. And it didn't make any sense as to why. And when I asked them questions, it ended up that they had these symptoms of candida return after having COVID or, or after being vaccinated for COVID. Either way, same thing, COVID or vaccinated for it. Yep. So then I started to look into this, and sure enough, I found out that COVID can trigger candida because it, it, it disturbs the friendly bacteria. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 157 of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Biamonte. Dr. Michael Biamonte is the founder of Biamonte Center for Clinical Nutrition. He is the co-creator of BioCybernetics, which is an unprecedented computer software program that is able to study blood work mineral tests, and other lab tests to determine exactly where your body is imbalanced initially designed for aerospace purposes. As a practitioner for over 30 years, he is dedicated to improving the lives of patients and helping them get back to living. He holds a doctorate of naturopathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists the American College of Nutrition, and is a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. He is listed in the Directory of Distinguished Americans for his research in nutrition and physiology. Today, we are going to discuss Candida. Most of this comes from an amazing book called The Candida Chronicles. So fasten your seatbelt, and let's roll. Dr. Michael Biamonte, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. How are you this afternoon? I am very good. Thank you, Mr. Rebel Coach. I'm more than <laughs> happy to answer all your questions today. Before we dive into today's show about what is candida and why, it's, why do traditional treatments fail, who is Dr. Michael Biamonte? And what was your pain to purpose in becoming a doctorate of naturopathy? Well, I was originally a musician. And as I was minding my own business being a musician, my father developed cancer. I had a lot of questions of the, of the doctors regarding the treatment. None of the doctors could give me straight answers. Like I asked things like, why isn't his diet important? What about vitamins and herbs and all these other treatments from all over the world? And they all just blew me off. So I became really interested in, um, in studying, became a hobby, and the hobby then became a passion and it then became my profession. Awesome. Awesome. That's a, that's a good reason, too, because there, a lot of doctors do not understand that. We're going to get into that today, especially with your book, The Candida Chronicles, which is a very interesting read. And I've uh, turned a, quite a few colleagues onto this book already. As we, as I was prepping for this, I've kept digging in. I, I enjoyed reading it, and I'm still reading it, just about halfway through it. But it's a good book, and I enjoyed it. But oh, great! I'm glad. Thank you. This is a very misunderstood issue, and most allopathic doctors, or doctors, a lot of doctors, period, have no clue on how to deal with this subject. And so, basically, what is Let's talk about what candida is, first of all, and then we can dive in further there. So what is actually, when somebody says, I have candida, what are they saying? Well, candida is a microorganism. It's a yeast. It's a yeast that has the ability to convert itself to a fungus. And it's a natural living thing that occurs in everyone's body. 
it's in, it's in the body of most mammals. Um, birds in particular have a lot of candida. Well, everyone has candida living in their body. There's a balance in your body, just like a garden where you have weeds and you have flowers. You have and candida would be considered more of a weed. And you have the weeds under control. This is the analogy that we could use with probiotics. Everyone by now knows about probiotics. They're on television all the time. Probiotics are naturally... And the probiotic is your body's mechanism in controlling candida. Probiotics help your body absorb vitamins. They help your body synthesize vitamins. They're part of your immune response. They fight off bacteria and bad parasites and all these things. And probiotics also stop candida from growing out of control. So if something happens to someone that disturbs their natural probiotics, and examples of that would be taking antibiotics, which kill the probiotics, taking steroids or cortisone medication, which also kill them, taking too many even uh, uh, antacid tablets. If you take... If you take too many Tums and you lower your stomach acid too low, that kills the probiotics. If you got into an accident, the shock of the accident could kill the probiotics. If you have dental surgery, that could kill them. So there's numerous things that can disturb the probiotics. Anything that compromises your probiotics will allow candida to start growing out of control because the food chain has been interrupted. It's like the bigger, the big fish eats the small, the, the medium fish, the medium fish eats the small fish. That's how it's a food chain in your intestinal tract. So when candida starts to grow out of control and starts to take over, it causes all these horrible symptoms in the body. And the symptoms are so disrelated that normally the average person doesn't connect this because the symptoms of candida can range from being tired, fatigued, having brain fog loss of memory, then digestive problems like gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. Then they can start getting rashes. Then they can start feeling asthmatic. Then they notice when they around perfume, around cigarette smoke, they can't handle it. They get headaches. So this is kind of like a, a typical range of symptoms that people with candida have. And most people would not put all those symptoms together because they're very disrelated. Hmm. Interesting. So. Do probiotics and prebiotics feed candida? No, they don't feed candida at all. But people who have candida are usually unable to tolerate the probiotics and the prebiotics because there's a, a kind of a war that goes on when you have candida and you try to take the probiotics. Candida does not, uh, probiotics do not cure candida. Okay. Which now, that, now what I just said, I can probably be sued a million times by all the companies that make <laughs> probiotics, but that is a fact. Because if probiotics cured candida, people would not be coming to me in throngs to be treated. But okay. they don't. What probiotics do is probiotics stop candida from coming back once you have eliminated the candida. So when a person does a, pro, a candida treatment, when they get themselves to the point where they've lowered their candida down to normal, now taking probiotics will help and back. But initially, it's not going to get rid of the candida. That's a, a huge, a huge misunderstanding somehow propagated, I guess, by the, I don't know, I'm not going to speculate who, but that's, that's just a fact. Probiotics do not get rid of candida. Probiotics stop candida from coming back into its full volume again. Okay. How many people are affected by candida? I know women are more susceptible to it. Women are more susceptible to it only from the viewpoint of vaginal yeast infections. Okay. But I, well, I, in my practice, we probably have an equal amount of women to men. Maybe the women slightly more only because the uh, candida is affected by hormones. So a woman's estrogen would make her more susceptible because estrogen makes candida grow. Just like estrogen, there are three kinds of estrogen. There's estrone, which is the weaker form. There's estradiol, which is your uh, kind of normal form. And then there's estriol, which is the form of estrogen that's involved in pregnancy. That's what makes the fetus grow. So est estrogen makes the babies grow, but it also makes candida grow. So if a woman's estrogen's out of balance, it puts her more at risk for the candida than a man. 
Okay, so if a female has a, a fetus and it's a girl, is it is it more susceptible to be? Is a candida larger when it's, if they have a female fetus? It can be, yeah, because the fetus releases hormones. A male fetus releases testosterone, a female estrogen. So yeah, it's, that's possible. It's it's normal. And it's something to expect that when a woman who has candida gets pregnant, she's going to have more flare-ups of candida during the pregnancy because of that estrogen dominance that's occurring during pregnancy. Okay. Let's, let's get to the nut and bolts of this. How does one know that they have candida? Normally, they figure it out based on their symptoms. Okay. And then they'll also figure it out looking at their history. Like if someone will sit down and they'll think, well, I have these symptoms that match up to what this book about Candida is saying. And I look at my, and when the, when I can loosely remember these symptoms started right before that, I took all these antibiotics or right before that I had this surgery or right before that. So, so there's going to be a point of demarcation that after that point, they started to recognize these symptoms in themselves. So that's where they can then spot where the candida may have occurred. Okay. So what are some of the causes of, of or antibiotics being one of them, of candida? Birth control pills, I'm sure. Yep. Our birth control devices, I'm sure, as well. Upper IUDs also can be. Steroids, cortisone, prednisone. They can all cause candida. Any kind of um, antacid, something, anything that lowers your stomach acid could cause candida, because once you lower your stomach acid, you have adjust, you have changed the pH of your intestines. Your stomach acid contributes to keeping your intestinal pH a little bit more to the acid side. Okay. So that's candida is all about pH to a degree. Candida loves alkalinity. In a vaginal area, candida loves it to be alkaline. And the intestinal tract, candida, loves your pH to be above 7.3, 7.4. Ah. That's where the stomach acid comes in. To, to, when, you're, when the food leaves your stomach into your intestines, it's, it's called chyme. And that, that chyme contains acids, which then are dispersed throughout your intestinal tract and bring the pH a little bit down. Because normally your pancreatic fluids and bile are very alkaline. So in order to achieve the right pH, it's a mixture of the acid in your stomach and then pancreatic and um, gallbladder fluids, which we know as bile. That's interesting because I, I do a pH test every morning in my first urine just to check my alkalinity every morning. And uh, I don't know where I, what some, I got that from a doctor I had on the podcast, and I've been doing it ever since. And the <laughs> first morning is the time to do it because if you check your pH later in the day, it's normal for your urine pH to become more alkaline as the day goes on. First morning serves as a good stable marker. And, and people, people with candida, here's the more confusion. People with candida typically have a very acid morning pH. It's, it's 5 or sometimes 4.5 because candida releases a lot of acid metabolites, a lot of like acid toxins, you could say. Okay. So you'll pee them out in the morning. It's one of the ways we know someone with candida is getting better is we watch their urine pH gradually get more alkaline as they do the treatment. Hmm. Okay. But on the other hand, an alkaline intestinal tract is what breeds candida. So when, when you talk about pH, you've got to know what pH you're talking about. The pH of your saliva, for instance, sometimes mimics your blood pH. pH of your urine is its own separate thing. Your stool pH is its own separate thing. So Because there's this thing in the health field for the last 10 years or so that everybody has to be as alkaline as possible, which is total nonsense. It's a matter of having the right balance of pH. Okay. Good point. Good good point. How about tap water? Where does that come into play? Because a lot of tap water, especially in cities like New York and, well, Atlanta and any, basically any major city, is tap water consumption? Is that another reason to drink? It, it can if there's too much chlorine in the water. Chlorine kills friendly bacteria. So you'll find sometimes people who are swimmers Professionally or uh, amateur, they can sometimes develop candida from gulping down chlorine from the pool. That's a possibility. Tap on its own being toxic, especially if the tap water is high in toxic minerals. 
Okay. Like you will find people who develop copper toxicity from the old copper plumbing in their house. Mm. And copper is something which is estrogenic as a mineral. It stimulates sensitivity to estrogen, so it also stimulates candida. Iron is the same thing. Sometimes you find people who are iron toxic because of their plumbing. And iron is an is a element which really makes candida grow. As a matter of fact, nystatin for candida. Nystatin works, if you look at the pharmacology, by blocking candida's ability to absorb iron. Hmm. There, are, there are a few drugs that work that way. They block the, the candida's ability to absorb some nutrient, which is vital to it. Like ketoconazole blocks candida's ability to absorb vitamin D. Nystatin blocks the candida's ability to absorb iron. So without those nutrients, the candida starts to die. How about alcohol, like wine especially? Generally speaking, most alcohol is like throwing gasoline on a fire when you have candida. Okay. Because candida takes the starches and the sugars that it gets in your body and it ferments them and converts them into alcohol just like you were making beer or wine. And it, it, that's part of its metabolism. So when you give the candida alcohol, it's pretty pretty bad. So kombucha would not drinking kombucha would not be a good thing for somebody with candida. Then. Potentially, anything that's fermented could be bad. Okay, All and right. if it's not from if it's not from the viewpoint of fermenting an alcohol, it just can be from the viewpoint of the fermentation and the the different types of chemicals that are produced, which the person could react allergically to. Because see, candida. Um, releases allergy toxins or chemicals all the time in your body that are part of its own metabolism. And after a while, your body starts to think that these are all bad, see? So anything similar to that, which is, as an example, mushrooms. Now, mushrooms and candida are definitely different things, but they belong to the same species of, of the fungus. So sometimes people with candida will be highly allergic to mushrooms only because the body... Is, is incorrectly associating the mushroom with candida. Where does candida, let's talk about where it lives and what does it feed off of then? Candida feeds off sugar and carbohydrates. Okay. If, if you eat starches, the candida's job is to co convert those starches into sugar and then to eat the sugar. If you just eat sugar, you're giving it an easier job. If you drink beer, it loves you. Because beer contains maltose, <laughs> which is a sugar yeasts love. It lives throughout your, throughout your elementary canal. The elementary canal basically is your mouth, down your throat, down your stomach, down your small intestine, your colon, and out your anus. It's that whole, that whole way is, is the element. That's primarily where it lives, but it also can live in your ears, in your nose, any virtually any mucous membrane it can live in. If the, if the candida gets too out of control, it will leave your intestinal tract, It'll, particularly your colon. It will climb from your colon into your lymph system. Because remember, your whole lymphatic system drains into your colon. So it will leave your colon, get into your lymph system, go up to your liver, gallbladder, and then it can disperse itself Wow! from there. Now, here's something I always tell my patients to keep them out of trouble. If you go to a doctor, a medical doctor, and you tell the medical doctor, I have systemic candida. He is going to look at you like a nut. <laughs> and the reason why he's going to look at you like a nut is his definition of systemic candida is that you have a fungal infection in your blood. And this is something that happens in late stage cancer and AIDS and it's fatal and you have three weeks to live. We, in our talk, when we talk about systemic candida, we're talking about candida which is translocated from colon the other glands and organs. We're not talking about having an athlete's foot infection in your bloodstream, which is what the doctor is thinking with. <laughs> is this why allopathic doctors have no clue how to treat this? No, it's not. But, but it's part of it. It's okay. part of why. The real reason, reason why they have no clue how to treat this is because this falls more under the heading of nutrition because the uh, probiotics in your intestinal tract are mostly influenced by your diet and nutrition and things like this. And that's nutrition is not something they're trained in. But here's, let me offer you this idea. If I estimated at one point that 30% of the whole U.S. population at one time has candida. 
you have read enough, you're, you're learned enough about this to understand what candida can do to somebody and how devastating it could be. Doctors came out and they said, well, we, we looked into this candida thing and, you know, we agree. Antibiotics and all these drugs that we give people and prescribe to people cause candida. So we figure that we're guilty for causing candida in all these people. Now, could you imagine what's going to happen to the court systems if something like that was realized? Right. We'd have lawsuits going every which way. So I don't know that medical doctors are going to be that all that enthused about treating something like this when ultimately the finger could be pointed at them and they'd have to be responsible. Now, there are medical doctors I know and um, they're, they're hip to this and they understand what's going on and they do their best from their viewpoint to handle it, but to handle a candida patient is a lot of time because they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of misinformation and false data. So you have to spend a reasonable amount of time with a candida patient to really gen them into what the right thing is. And as you know, typically when you go to see your medical doctor, he's the assistant comes in, takes notes. Then the physician's assistant comes in, does this. He comes in for five minutes to, to put the, the cherry on the, on the cake and then he's gone. He doesn't spend 20, 30, 40 minutes with the patient. So it's not that profitable for them to be treating candida either unless they're going to have a special person in their practice who does it for them. How do you test for candida? Big problem. Um, candida is very elusive. Most The instinct of most tests for candida antibodies, which it can be a, reasonable, a reasonably good test, and it will show you if your antibodies are elevated, it means that you're fighting the candida. Your immune system is mobilized, it's fighting it. And then you could also look for candida antigens. The problem is the longer the person has candida, their immune system gets run down and the production of those antibodies start to decrease. So you could get somebody coming into your office with the worst candida in the world and the blood test will say it's normal because their body simply can't produce enough antibodies to fight it anymore. So that one's can be off the table. The next thing that's common is stool testing. Now, stool testing, I've worked with many labs over the years um, to investigate, pick up candida and how it would be reported in the stool. And we found out something very important. Stool tests are notoriously inaccurate for candida. They're great for bacteria. doesn't grow in your intestinal tract in a very uniform manner. It grows in a spotty, blotchy kind of format. So if you could take a walk through your intestines with a flashlight, right? right. You, would, you would see all this friendly bacteria, right? You'd be walking for it's all friendly bacteria. Then all of a sudden you come on this, then you walk some more, it's all nice, then you come up another patch of candida. So it doesn't grow in a uniform manner. And in order for a, a sample of stool to pick up enough live candida to show up at the lab, it's very difficult. So this makes stool tests not very accurate. The most accurate way I have found to test for candida is by looking for chemicals that the candida releases in your urine. That's a test I developed myself that my patients do. And there are some labs that do similar testing. But looking for the candida's own, like let's say footprints or its, its metabolites is much easier than looking for the candida itself. That's more accurate. Okay, is this where bio-cybernetics come in or no? Well, yeah, that's, it. that's part, of, it's part of that. Bio-cybernetics is able to look at people's tests and analyze the tests from a very high analytical, um, log, let's say, algorithm viewpoint. But that's not the principal test we use for detecting okay. candida. Okay. How does a person, I mean, we're going into this, this holiday season where people are consuming uh, alcohol, beer, massive amounts of sugary foods. So this has got to be a time of year where candida just flares up in a lot of people. Yeah, people will still have, they'll notice that existing complaints they have already, probably complaints they've been dealing with for a while, flare up and get worse, and they don't quite know why. Some of them may say, well, it might be all the booze I'm drinking or all the sugar I'm eating. Some of them might figure that out. And then they go back and they say, ah, oh, well, sugar, things like this, that flares candida up. Maybe I have candida. But, but yes, you're right. This, this time of year, a lot of people who have candida 
are going to eat things and do things that are going to flare it up. So how do we avoid it, first of all? I mean, it's like, like you, I mean, you pretty much said antiacids, medications, hormones, uh, antibiotics, you know, and, and, but people are, and we all know, especially over the last few years, the antibiotics are being sent out the, the drugstore like candy at a candy store. Yeah. So, how, I mean, what do we do here to avoid it? And then how do we go? Then we'll dive into how to treat it. To avoid candida, you don't want to abuse antibiotics. You'll see people who have acne, people who have chronic sinus infections, um, various conditions where people will repeatedly use antibiotics over and over again. That's pretty much guarantee you're going to get candida. Okay. So if you don't abuse antibiotics and you don't abuse any of these other drugs, you have a chance of avoiding it. If you do have to take these drugs, then you want to go to the health food store or the, or the drug store, and you want to look for over-the-counter antifungals that you can take, things that are like um, Yohimbi. I'm not sorry, not Yohimbi, but um, uh, let's say acrylic acid would be one. Okay. That's a pretty common over-the-counter. Um, there are some other herbs that they sell over the counter, which are typical antifungal, have typical anti. So people can take these things and then take probiotics and hope candida is eliminated or, or suppressed by the over the counter antifungal and then supported by the probiotic. And then watch how you feel. And then if you start noticing you're getting a lot of the symptoms that I mentioned in my book, especially reacting to food, the person who you usually could eat anything. They had the cast iron, iron stomach. Now all of a sudden they start eating pasta and starch and things and they feel really bloated and they feel like they're drunk and and they're just reacting to food in ways they never did before. Well, now it's time to seek out somebody who can help you with the problem. We talked about, you touched on nutrition a little bit. Where does this standard American diet come into play uh, with with candida? Well. Typically, it's the medications that aggravate candida okay. or cause it. It's the diet that can aggravate it and promote it and make it worse. And why the American diet tends to do that is because um, the American diet is higher in starch and sugar. Okay. And a lot, of the, a lot of the junk that people eat feed the candida and make it grow. How about high fructose corn syrup? Good example. So that's just, that's just like putting fire on a, putting a lighter fluid on a flame. Basically, anything that hits your mouth that you feel is sweet, anything that tastes sweet in your mouth is something that will feed candida. As I said before, beer, unfortunately, holds a special place because of the maltose that's okay. in beer. Maltose and yeast are wonderful together. You, you give yeast maltose and it'll, it'll just grow as high as a building. So the worst thing that somebody could consume when they have candida probably is beer. And then after that, it would be any refined sugar. And then after that, it's going to be carbs because carbs break down to sugar. So your typical diet that somebody goes on who's trying to fight candida or trying to reduce candida is like Atkins or, or, or a keto diet, something really low in carbs. People can go on those diets and in a couple of weeks, their symptoms can reduce to virtually nothing because they've starved the candida down to um, um, something minuscule. The problem is, candida is a plant. It literally is like having broccoli growing in your intestines. And as a plant, it grows roots. And the roots from candida pierce your intestinal tract. They pierce your, your tissues and they seek out your little capillaries, your little blood vessels. They tap into the blood vessels and get glucose, blood sugar out of there. Mm. So the roots of the candida will stay alive. Just like if you saw a, like some kind of massive weed and the top of the thing had died, but there's still a root system. And then it rains and the thing grows back. Similar to candida. The most common thing I hear from candida patients, I was on the diet for 10 years. I had it under control. Then there was this holiday. I went with my friends. I did this and that. And now all my symptoms are right back again. Mm. 
the typical story you hear. So let's talk about the treatment. Uh, in your book, you talk about a full year. The first, mis- the first mistake that people make in the treatment is they don't do it in the right gradient or, the, or in the right stepwise procedure. Okay. They do it usually ass backwards or they do something that I call, it's a word in Yiddish, which, <laughs> which, is, which is called ungap. Pachka means everything thrown together. So the doctor will take in my book, you see, I have all the phases, each right. different step. They'll try to do them all at once, which doesn't work. So the key thing in treating candida is you have to remember that when you use antifungals, you must rotate the antifungals. In my, on my treatment, we choose to rotate antifungals four days or every seven days. So every, every four days, we switch to a different antifungal. Usually, we'll use three or four that I test. That's a priority, a, a priority secret is we know based on the testing which ones work better on the person. And then we have them switch them every four days or seven days. And in this way, you don't develop drug resistance because candida, mm. candida and most funguses are notorious to become drug resistant. They jump strains. We call it genetic switching or jumping strains. So at one point in my office many years ago when we were testing everybody's stool, we, we noticed that all the people who came to us who had been treating themselves or being treated for candida all had a species called Candida tropicalis, which is a more advanced species. All the people who came to us who never heard of Candida, and we found out they had it, had Candida albicans, which is the famous commonplace species. So that told me immediately all these people were having their Candida genetically flipped to a super strain or a more resistive strain because of the way they were being treated. It was they were being treated incorrectly. The doctors had them on the same antifungal for months at a time, and that caused the candida to genetically mutate. So because of that, you've got to switch your antifungals. You've got to rotate. That's the first thing you have to do. Um, the second thing you've got to be concerned about is not taking probiotics too early and expecting the probiotics to work. You, you have to lower the candida down to a certain level again a normal level before you can give probiotics and have them work. If the person has leaky gut syndrome and they take probiotics, there's a very good chance they're going to have a bad reaction to the probiotics. Because probiotics, when you have leaky gut, probiotics literally leak into your your bloodstream like anything else. So now you have bacteria leaking into your blood. It doesn't make any difference whether you spent $20 for a bottle of it or whether or not it was from salmonella. It's still leaking in your blood and your immune system reacts to it adversely. So hmm. then there's also the order that you take different antifungals in. So you know, on my treatment plan, I discovered very early that people with candida very often also had parasites. They had giardia, they had all types of protozoa and parasites. So the first thing we do for, um, on our treatment is we, we our phase zero, which is our zero step of treating them. First thing we do is a colon cleanse where we help them eliminate any excess parasites or bad bacteria that they have. We get that handled, so that's the first layer that's cleaned. Then we put them on phase one where they start to rotate the antifungals. And then they, there's a certain group that they rotate on phase one, which works systemically to kill the candida throughout the body. Then on phase two, we concentrate on killing the candida deep in the recesses of the intestinal tract. This is the candida that repels the probiotics. This is why people are so unsuccessful when they self-treat, is they don't know what antifungals are going to be able to get deep into the crevices of their intestines and kill that candida that's deep in there that repels the probiotics. Then at that point, when we see their levels are low enough, then we give them the probiotics. And when the probiotics come back, the candida is over. But that doesn't mean that the damage the candida created is over. So that's why we have the later steps that we do. Phase three and four uh, essentially look for imbalances the candida's created in your body in order to put them back in balance. Or many times a person develops candida because they've been exposed to toxic chemicals of some kind. Like we a lot we see a lot of people from Vietnam who were exposed to Agent Orange have candida. Hmm. So we have to detoxify them of so basically metals, mercury, copper, iron, toxicity of different toxic metals will cause candida. So when we get rid of the candida, we want to then detoxify the person 
from anything that's causing the candida or allowing it to be there. Then once we do that, we work on their adrenal glands because everybody with candida has burned out adrenal glands. It's like you can't, it's such a common thing. It's on, it's so predictable. It's incredible. Candida wears your adrenal glands down. And that's mm. because the adrenals are part of your immune response. It's your, your sympathetic, innervated immune response comes from your adrenals. Then once we have that done, then we do a general acids, all their vitamins, all their minerals. We look for any deficiency or imbalance we have and put that back in. So that completes the third phase of our treatment. Then the final phase is, is their immune system. We make sure their immune system is getting on all six or eight cylinders, depending on how you're looking at that. Four cylinders, I guess, now if you have an economical <laughs> car. But we're looking for the immune response after that. So we make sure the immune response is corrected. And very often how we correct the person's immune response is with Chinese herbs. Chinese herbs are, are proven for years and years and years to be able to bolster a person's immune system and bring it back. So, so very often we do that. And then when we see their immune system is, is normal, then we're finished. They're done. Okay, when you're finished and they're done, how do you keep it in check or at bay from there on out? Well, we're going to notice in doing this work with them, we're going to find out what their blood type is. Okay. So we're going to have them make sure that they use the blood type diet from Dr. Diadamo's work as a All basic, right. as a foundation of their health plan going forward. Because if you take a type O and you feed him like a vegetarian, he can develop candida from all those carbs. Hmm. Or if you take a type A and you feed him like a type O, he's going to get constipated from all the meat. So you put him on the blood type diet that's correct for his blood type. And then you also look at all his tests and whatever his idiosyncrasies might be in his tests, you make sure you have them on some kind of a maintenance plan to try to handle those idiosyncrasies. Interesting. Where did you, where the blood type, I mean, I love the book, Eat Right for Your Type, but where, when did you discover that that's the best diet for this, for moving forward? After the treatment plan. When I was in naturopathic school, one of my, do, one of my um, professors was Dr. Diadamo Sr. Oh. Not, not, not Peter Diadamo. Peter. Peter is the one who wrote all the books, but right. it was his father. His father was the one who did all the original research. So uh, working with his father, I understood the value of the blood type diet. I understood its limitations. And I understood that it's not Absolutely, it's not perfect. It's not a hundred percent, but it's a very workable foundation to to go from. And then you look at the person's own idiosyncrasies, like what's happening. You have a, a, whatever the blood type is. You look to see hormonally, do they tend to lean one way or another for some reason? Is it their body composition that's doing that? Is it some type of um, habit they have in their life? Like are are they using some habitual habitually using something in their life, like a personal care item? which tends to make them more estrogenic or something. So you've got to, you, you take it this in, in layers. You use the blood, blood type diet as their basic thing. And then you look at their environment and like, let's say if the fellow is a dentist, well, the dentist is going to be drilling fillings. Right. So he, he's going to have mercury and copper vapors flying all over his office. I had a dentist come to me when I was first practicing who had, Horrible diarrhea, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong. He went to all these gastroenterologists. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with him. So he's telling me about this diarrhea. He's telling me about how he has to eat pasta three or four times a day to try to bind himself. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm saying, well, geez, this guy, he's drilling people's teeth all day. He's got to be mercury toxic. And if you look at any book on toxic metals, one of the first symptoms of acute mercury toxicity is diarrhea. And the guy was also twitching. Well, he had all these twitches. Hmm. which is another symptom of mercury toxicity. So I had him get tested, and sure enough, he was very mercury toxic, and that was what was causing the problem. So get the blood type diet down as their basic, and then look at them. Look at their overall environment, and you see what else you need to do to fill in the gaps. Interesting. Interesting. This, so is, that... called, this is technically called clinical ecology. Everything we're talking about, back, back in the 80s or so, this was the brand of medicine. 
and it was it was labeled clinical ecology. It's the it's been kind of lost now in the sauce because now you have doctors who call themselves functional functional medicine and all this other stuff. But technically, what I'm practicing is clinical ecology. Okay. So this five, so you're saying one year, usually about a year, or is it one year of treatment? To eliminate it, it's it's a it's a year if the if the person doesn't have complications if they don't have leaky gut okay toxicity it's it could be a year okay. if they have leaky gut and if they have toxicity it could be several years okay because you got to detoxify them right Det- can take six months a year it depends on how much mercury they have depends on how well of a, of a detoxifier they are and that's another thing that's important in this subject is on the um on the oats test there's Tells you how well you're detoxifying. And that's a very invaluable panel because right then and there, it shows you what you could expect if the person's toxic and you try to help them. So if they don't detoxify well, then you've got to fix that phase one or phase two pathway, get them to detoxify. Otherwise, they just, uh, right, right. they're auto, auto, auto intoxicating for right. the time. Interesting. That oats test is pretty valuable too to begin with. It is. That's uh, the test. I use that all the time. At yeah. I love Dr. Shaw. He's a pretty amazing person. Uh, I love the Oats test and uh, the Great Lakes or Great Plains Labs, too. I want to cut back a little bit and, and talk about biocybernetics because you, uh, you were the co-creator of biocybernetics. So what is biocybernetics and, and how did you get involved with that? The name biocybernetics means the study of of self-regulating biological systems, which is what your body is. Okay. Cybernetics is the study of self-regulating mechanisms. And bio, of course, means biology. So biocybernetics is studying how the body regulates itself. How I got involved with that was when I first got out of naturopathic school, um, I wanted to develop a computer system. This was in 1984. I wanted to develop a computer that could study blood work and spit out all the recommendations that I was collecting. Okay. It was my expertise when I was in school was interpreting blood work. Okay. So I could I could look at a blood test and I could find all kinds of things going on in there from a nutritional standpoint that a medical doctor would never see because they're looking at pathology. Right. So um, I was going around trying to do this. I didn't know much about computers. And I happened to be in a health food store one day and I was telling this woman that worked there what I was trying to do. And she told me about this doctor named Robert Santoro, who was out in Massapequa, who worked for Grumman Aerospace. She said, he's already doing this. You need to go talk to him. And she gave me his card and everything. So I went and talked to the gentleman. I found out that he was the one who developed the life support systems on the lunar module. Okay. So I knew the guy must knew, knew what he was talking about. And then he told me about the, this computer they were working on, which was a, a model of the human body. They, they were trying to put on computer in Fortran computer language every step, physiological step in the body so that the computer would be able to look at somebody's tests and then do a mock simulation of everything happening in their body for the purpose of finding out where things were going wrong. And then they would find out what nutrient was responsible for making that go right. Wow. So I worked with them for quite a few years and developing the model of the body. That's what biocybernetics is. That's quite intense. Yeah. That's quite intense. It's basically a computer software program that has the ability, when you give it lab work on a person... Just regular, normal lab work. Yeah, normal, regular SMA25 with a CBC, WBC, and differential. And also, um, we use a hair analysis. Okay. To get all the minerals in the body. You give the computer that, and it can do a, a re- recreation of the person's physiology step by step by step. Wow. I really do like the hair mineral analysis test as well. I think that's a great tool for a lot of things. It is. But this is great. So they take the blood work and the hair mineral analysis test and combine it, mm-hmm. and, and it runs a report. Right. It runs like a 40 page report on the person, tells you everything that's going on. That's wrong. It doesn't say it's wrong because that would be practicing medicine. So it says that, <laughs> you know, this step of the hypothalamus through the hypothesial stalk signaling the pituitary gland or something like that isn't isn't quite right because there's a lack of D12 or, or some right. such. Wow. That's intense. 
Is that available to the common person? Yeah, it's how I got into Candida. Because at the, at the time that we took this company private and we were starting to use it on all our patients, we noticed that there was about 30% of the people who came to us who had crazy reactions to the vitamins that we gave them. They didn't react normal. They were having all kinds of side uh, effects. So I volunteered to be the one who was going to figure out what was wrong. So I had this big pile of folders I was going through. I was looking through all these folders, trying to find common denominators in these people. And I sure enough found a pattern in their white blood counts. They had low neutrophils and high lymphocytes and high eosinophils and high monocytes. And I'm saying, well, that's, a, that's some kind of infection in their colon. I wonder what that could be. So then I started having these people go to labs and doing all these test things. And it ended up that this infection was candida. Interesting. Very interesting. Then I sent them to their medical doctor. I said, you have candida, go to your medical doctor, get cured, come back, and we'll put you on the vitamins. Well, they go, my doctor doesn't know what candida is. Or he said, my doctor says, I can't have candida. There's no such thing as candida or some story. Right. So, so I'll tell you what, why don't you go see Dr. Hop, Donald Hoffman or go to Dr. Atkins? This is, I was in Manhattan at the time. So I would send them to all the prominent functional medical doctors in Manhattan. And then they would call back and they'd say, wow, this was great. He knew what I was talking about. He, he said, yes, I do have this. But the only problem is his treatment didn't really work. Like it helped, but then it, it was very unstable. I kept relapsing. So that's how I then so I'm studied gonna... Candida to figure the whole thing out. And then you wrote the book. And then I wrote the book 10, year, 10 or 15 years later. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. Is there anything before we go that you want to add that we missed on that you want to add to this before we let you go and you go on your way for the day? Yeah, something we've discovered very recently, which was a little surprising, is in the last couple, maybe two years or so, we've had patients who had previously graduated from our treatment come back and say that they had symptoms of candida coming back. And it didn't make any sense as to why. And when I asked them questions, it ended up that they had these symptoms of candida return after having COVID or, or after being vaccinated for COVID. Either way, same thing, COVID or vaccinated for it. Yep. So then I started to look into this and sure enough, I found out that COVID can trigger candida because it, it, it disturbs the friendly bacteria. Interesting. And the vaccine, is it? Same thing. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. So through that, we the um, I can't really speak too much of this because the Federal Trade Commission right. has warned me about this. But um, <laughs> you and we Doctor Marcola down there, oh, we're, we're the best of friends. We're the best of friends. Um, so we uh, we then were able to develop herbal protocols to help people get over uh, COVID. But more importantly, we figured out how to kill the spike protein or how to get rid of the spike protein. Right. There's a, a study in Japan that showed two things of interest. The trace mineral germanium and the enzyme chymotrypsin are able to destroy the spike protein. So if you can get the person to take enough of that on an empty stomach, enough germanium and chymotrypsin, it will disintegrate the spike protein. And the person actually goes through a brief Herxheimer reaction when that happens, which is in part how you know it's working. Herxheimer reaction, for those who don't know, doctors um, typically call this die-off, a die-off, but it was Dr. Herxheimer, if we're going to be correct, who discovered this. He was a doctor. He was treating people for Lyme disease and parasites. And he noticed, he observed that when the person took the medicine and killed the parasite or killed the Lyme disease, they would feel a temporary sick feeling like they had the flu. And that was actually their own immune system reacting to the dead infection. Pose, your immune system reacts to that junk. The Lyme disease, the spirochetes die, your immune system reacts to it. And he noticed that people typically felt like they had the flu it would last a few days. If they drank a lot of water, it would go away and it would flush it out. But it was a die-off reaction. And that's the same thing we observe with the spike protein is when the person takes chymotrypsin and the germanium at the right dose, with the right frequency on an empty stomach to absorb it, time of reaction. So that's how we know it is destroying the spike protein. 
which is probably the most dangerous part of COVID, in my opinion. Just remember, it's the spike protein that's added to COVID. COVID is the virus, and they splice the spike protein. That's what weaponizes it. Because everyone, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how it's totally ignored in the news media that this is a biological weapon. All this stuff, they want you to social distance. They want you to wear masks. They want you to get that. But everyone's ignoring the fact this is a biological weapon that got released. Hello? Right. Why? Right. Can, right. can we figure out, you know, what happened here exactly? <laughs> yeah. Did you take a lot of walks with Dr. McCullough on the beach down there? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, this is true. I love that man. And in fact, I've seen him speak a couple times, and he's always interesting. Always. No, oh, I would like my income to be his legal bills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. One question I ask all my listeners or all my guests, not listeners, sorry about that. It has nothing to do with Candido or anything we talked about today. But you being a musician, this should be an interesting answer. What album or artist would you put on if you had 30 to 45 minutes of me time? John Coltrane. John Coltrane. Are you playing guitar, I take it? Yeah. Okay. No, he's a good one. He's a, one of the best. All right. Yeah. Now, what kind of guitar did you play? Classical? I went to school for, and I studied classical guitar. Okay. And But I paid for school by um, playing jazz guitar and rock guitar. Basically, teaching kids how to play like Jimi Hendrix is how I paid for college. <laughs> uh, I'd like to be able to play like Al Dimiola. That was a good one. Yeah. I like Al. Uh, he's a... Yeah. I love watching him play. Uh, it's about his, just the way he, his fingers move. Uh, yeah, it's true. One of my favorite guitar players is Pat Martino. Who just oh, yeah. Unfortunately, passed away. Passed away. Yep. All right, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate you and appreciate your time today. And and like I said before, sorry it was so hard getting to me to commit to a, this episode, but I really wanted to do it because I loved your book. And I still love your book, and I'm still reading your book, and I'll still recommend that book for anybody or all my colleagues that are deal with Candida. Uh, and I appreciate you. And feel free to contact me if you have any have a question, a concern, a need for anything. My door is always open. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.